We are in a new series, uh, well, not so new now. We're in part five of this series, a walk through the book of Hebrews called Losing My Religion. And we'll get to part five in a second, but wanted to give you a few announcements. Uh, those of you who are in our discipleship group, keep going, keep growing, keep contributing, keep posting in our group. And I know it's tough. We don't get to really be with one another in the same room, but there are a few people here who are part of that group. And that's a group that is, we want to go the second uh, level. You know, you want to you want to push yourself. How am I growing in my relationship with God? Who's holding me accountable? Who's pushing me? Who's challenging me? Who's teaching me? Uh, you know, taking next steps in your faith uh, requires some type of uh, accountability, some type of group that you're in. And so we have that group right now. It's a uh, private Facebook group. But when we will be able to actually, you know, meet in the same room at the same time in a group setting, we'll be able to continue that that whole thing. If you want to join, all you need is a Facebook account and you just be part of our church and you can join that group. I give you work to do every week, push you, give you homework, give you challenges, all that kind of stuff. We also have a midweek Bible study at 7 p.m., uh, which is video based on Zoom. And we're really enjoying that group as we're looking now through the early church in the first century, what it was like. And we have a Q&A uh, live uh, broadcast on Monday nights called Your Questions, God's Questions. And tomorrow I'm going to answer the question, what is the book of life referred to in the Bible? And uh, somebody asked the question, can you be blotted out of God's book of life? Wow, what a question. So a good question. So I'll deal with that tomorrow night at uh, 7 on um, online. And our next uh, in-person gathering is going to be 10.30 on the 30th of May, not next week. Next week, we will stream out of this location, but it'll just be us, uh, no in-person uh, uh, gathering. We'll stream out of here, and then on the 30th, we'll be back here and uh, have people in person as well, okay? Uh, so you will need to register for the 30th of May like you all have done already, and I think I know just about everybody in this room by name. Might be one or two people, but I do know your names, so uh, welcome today, and thank you for being a part of, of this today. And those of you who are online, some of you I know, some of you I don't know. Uh, but if you're new online, welcome to you as well. Uh, parents with small children, uh, go to that website, makingthebiblecomealive.com. Great content produced right here in the province of Quebec to help you with your kids, even though you're, you know, at home with all of this uh, pandemic stuff that's going on. And uh, I always challenge you, or at least in recent days, to watch The Chosen uh, streaming uh, series. You just need the app, uh, Apple or Android. It is, I don't know what words to use for this series. I watched the most recent episode uh, just a couple of days ago and was just blown away by how well done it is. Uh, keep praying for our global workers. I spoke to Don uh, Mann this week and he will be joining us in the month of June. He'll come here and preach. And uh, they continue to work on the Quest Leadership uh, Development content while the uh, flight restrictions still are in play. And uh, the Charbonneaux who are in Port-au-Prince and EJ Toupe who is in Toronto. And uh, also I should tell you on the 30th uh, of May, we will have a guest uh, speaker. He happens to be here in the room today. Uh, he's kept a low profile so far, but Charles Porter and his family have been with us for the last few weeks. And uh, you'll learn more about uh, Pastor Charles. I guess I'll call you Pastor Charles uh, when he comes to share. But uh, he is um, 
He is the equivalent of a global worker, but from the U.S., and is here, uh, does many different things. He's planted a church before. Uh, in which country in Africa? In Tanzania. So he knows what it's like to plant a church, knows what it's like to pastor, missionary, evangelist, leadership, training, mentoring, teaching, all kinds of stuff under the hood there. So you're going to enjoy his ministry on the 30th uh, of, um, of May. Uh, those of you who want to give today, we do have a little table, corner of the table, uh, if you want to give in person, and online, you can always do that, all right? So part five of uh, Losing My Religion, uh, the old REM song, uh, Book of Hebrews, in a way, talks about this. Um, not in the way that the song does, but in a way, it does talk about this, and the fact that these, these Hebrew believers had to, in a sense, give up a way of understanding that they had before. Still working on that ring in my in my mic, I see. Hey, Patrice, will you keep going? Um, and they had to they had to give up something, but they had to hold on to their faith. And the whole letter really is is pushing them to keep on keeping on. Uh, they, they they're warned by the author. They're encouraged by the author. They're challenged by the author because they faced a difficult time in in coming to Christ as their Messiah, their Lord, their Savior, out of this background or from this background in Judaism. And uh, this was frowned upon in part by, uh, by some. And so they're being challenged. They're being pushed to hold on to their faith, but to lose the idea that by following all of this do's and don'ts and following the law and so on, that that was sufficient. It was no longer sufficient for them. Their faith had to be in Christ who fulfilled their law. So we've been trying to work our way through this book. It's a bit of a complex book. Uh, but today we're going to talk about a subject that's pretty common to everybody, and that is the subject of temptation. And so uh, Hebrews chapter 4 uh, we finished uh, around here a couple of weeks ago, and this was um, the context is again a warning and an encouragement at the same time to be careful that you don't uh, fail to enter the so-called rest of God. And we tried to figure out, well, what does God's rest mean? And we talked about how Jesus spoke of this, and he said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my burden is light and my yoke is easy, and you will find peace and rest for your souls and so on. And so uh, in that kind of context, the author, who we don't know his name, continues, and he says, Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. And the, their example is a whole section uh, from the Old Testament when the Israelites were journeying in the wilderness. You have to read that for the context. And then he says this, For the word of God is alive and active. You've been in uh, church for, uh, for a long period of time. You probably heard a message or two about this. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This uh, word of God is often referred to as being the Bible. 
And, uh, you know, you people say, well, the word of God is living and active. When you read the Bible, you know, it has this powerful effect in your life. And I don't think that that's out of the reach of the passage. But it's probably more true that the author is thinking of Jesus. Because in the earlier chapters, he talks about how God speaks. And he says, in these last days, God has spoken by his son. So he might well be thinking of Jesus here when he refers to the, the active word of God that is sharper than a double-edged sword and that convicts and, and uh, judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. That may be more what the author has in mind there because then in verse 14 he says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest, and this is Jesus who he has in mind, who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. There you see another hold firmly, another warning, another encouragement, you know, because we have such and such, hold firmly, right? For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. This is briefly mentioned in chapter 2, but he reiterates this here, that Jesus is the high priest. We'll explain that in a moment. And he is able to empathize with our weaknesses. So the, so the high priest we serve in Jesus is... is um, he's not unable to empathize. He empathizes with our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Oh, that's different. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I want to talk to you about what you do when you are tempted. Because it goes by real quick in this passage. But we have to slow it down uh, and appreciate what is really being said here uh, when we think about temptation. Uh, the word temptation is still used today. Even though we, we have our own views and our own understandings of, you know, morality and truth and all of this stuff today. And we live in a polytheistic culture. We live in a plural, pluralistic culture. We live in a post, 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 post modern culture. Uh, even though we have all that, we still use the word temptation, don't we? Uh, we just use it in different ways than I think the Bible uses it, although sometimes we use the Bible the way the Bible uses it. Often we don't. So uh, when we think of temptation, we use today's language, you know. Someone might say, well, I'm tempted to take this course of action, you know, and make this business decision, but maybe it's not such a good decision. Maybe later on, you know, I might lose money, but I'm te tempted to make that decision, you know, people buying houses like crazy today. The market is ridiculous. And people who are buying houses, they say, well, you know, I'm tempted to go for a variable, open, whatever the name of the mortgage is. But, you know, but maybe I'm tempted to go for a closed, you know, fixed mortgage. And uh, But I'm tempted. I'm not sure what to do, but I'm tempted. You know, or maybe someone's holding it 
chocolate bar and they're tempted to eat the chocolate bar. And I don't know, but I'm tempted, you know, to do that. Well, that's not really what the author of the book of Hebrews has in mind when he's talking about temptation. Um, he's talking about something that's a little more serious than that. And sometimes we do talk about that. Uh, sometimes we do define temptation this way, but this is the way that the Bible is trying to define it. Um, temptation is the present opportunity to sin. So there's an opportunity before you to sin. And it's clear that the author here distinguishes between temptation and sin because he says that Jesus has been tempted in every way and yet did not sin. So there's a distinction between the two. To be tempted doesn't necessarily mean to sin. And what is it then? It is the present opportunity to sin. It presents itself to you. And today, more than ever, wow, do we ever have opportunity, don't we? I mean, all you have to do is hold up your tablet and press one button. One button. <laughs> or a pop-up comes on your screen, you could press one button and you have engaged the temptation. You know, people can be tempted to do all kinds of things that would be classified as sin. But this has a whole host of implications, doesn't it? And I put them on the screen for you. If we're tempted to sin and there's an opportunity before us to sin, it implies what? That there's some moral standard that can be broken and we would be breaking that moral standard by committing whatever action it is. It also means that that standard that's there can be violated Right? We can step across the line and violate that standard. But it also implies that there's a God. Because who's the author of that standard? Who sets that standard? So as soon as we start using the word temptation in a moral sense, there's all kinds of implications that are part and parcel of the use of that word. And that's certainly the way that it's being used here. And wow, I mean, people can be tempted to do a lot of things in a moral sense, right? You can be tempted to be unfaithful to your spouse. You can be tempted to steal. You can be tempted to take vengeance. You can be tempted to murder. You can be tempted to mm, drug and alcohol abuse. You can be tempted to whatever it is. You, you know that you're consciously walking across the moral standard, that's when you've engaged it. So every single person in this room, you have a present opportunity to sin. You may have a present opportunity to sin right now as you're sitting in this room. I don't know all the little minutiae details of your life, but you may have a present opportunity. You know, I've, I served in a very, very large church for years, and there were people who came to church with the intention to sin. All they would do was wait for some lady to leave her seat and leave her purse there. And they'd walk off with the purse. Or they'd go downstairs in the coat area and look for the best leather jacket. <laughs> so they were there sitting right next to somebody else who had their hands raised, you know, in his pious sense. And they're just waiting for the purse. So it was present opportunity right there in church to steal. And I've seen that many, many times in, in church settings, especially large ones, uh, that not everybody is there with the best intentions, unfortunately. I don't think there's any thieves here, though. 
I don't think so. But you could try. I mean, you could try and see what happens. But it's this present opportunity, but it implies a whole host of things. Uh, so we have to realize that in this culture, that it's still real. And uh, it's always present. I mean, we're kidding ourselves if we think that the opportunity to sin isn't always present. Um, I visited the, the uh, Amish community in, in uh, the state of Pennsylvania many times. My family has been there, and we've taken church groups there. And they have a way of living separately, at least in their view, from the broader culture, uh, the so-called English, they use that term. And they have their own uh, subculture and their own community that they build. Uh, but the truth is they have the present opportunity to sin as well. And so does the monk who's hid himself away and who's, you know, living a certain type of lifestyle. That person has the opportunity to sin as well. It is inescapable. It's always there. It's always present. And if you explore what the Bible has to say about the subject of temptation, you see this all over the place. So um, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, this is Paul writing. This is a famous, famous passage about temptation. This is a good one for you to memorize. If you, if you need to be challenged to memorize passages of Scripture, this is a great one. No temptation has overtaken you, or in some translations has seized you except what is common to mankind. Every temptation, you, nobody can say, in other words, well, the temptation that I face is unique. I'm somehow unique compared to every other person who's ever walked the face of this earth. My temptation is worse than everybody else's. No, it isn't. It's common to mankind. And God is faithful he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. So temptation is common. Temptation is unavoidable. God has a threshold, though. Uh, some people uh, twist this passage a little bit inadvertently, I think, and they say, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. You ever heard that phrase before? That's not what it says. It says, God it will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. That's different. In my view, God always gives you more than you can handle because that way you depend on God more because you can't handle it. There's a little bit of a difference, though, between that and temptation. Uh, so I, I'm just not so sure I agree with God. God will never give you more than you can bear. My goodness, I know people in this room who have dealt with more than they thought that they could bear, and it broke them. Their circumstance snapped them in half, and they had to somehow pick up the pieces and, and continue to trust in God. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, not if, when. It is an, it's unavoidable. It's inescapable. Go travel to Mars if you want to. You'll be tempted on Mars. I mean, every, because it's a human thing, it's part of the fallenness of humanity to be tempted. When you are tempted, he will also provide a way out, or in some translations, a way of escape so that you can endure it. Endure what? Temptation, specifically. This is what he's saying. 
We see uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus, talks about this. He says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. Uh, I don't know if I've told the story here before, but uh, I knew a lady and she, she had an experience happen to her where she walked up to uh, an automatic uh, bank machine, automatic teller. Some of you still use those, right? Even these days, we still have, sometimes we need real cash. And we go and we get the cash from the automatic teller. Well, she went to the automatic teller and it was live with someone else's card in the machine. Now, she could have said, God is tempting me. Or maybe she could have said, God is blessing me. <laughs> Withdraw and just put a one with a whole bunch of zeros and see how much God wants to bless me or how much God wants to tempt me. I'm not sure, but she had that experience happen to her. I said, well, what did you do? She said, well, I took the card out and I took it right to the person behind the desk and I told him this card was live and, you know, I don't want... I said, well, that's good. He said, you, you were tempted there, but you... You didn't take the bait, and, you know, it, it was a really cool illustration. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil. Now, some people will look at the, that passage and compare it to the one we read in Hebrews and say, well, hold on. If Jesus has been tempted in every way, you did not sit in yet James says, God cannot be tempted by evil. Isn't that a contradiction? No, it's not a contradiction because the author, James, is not thinking of the human nature of Jesus as he's writing this. He's talking about God in his essence. God cannot be tempted by evil. That's what he's saying. Okay, so don't be so quick to cry contradiction there. Nor does he tempt anyone. But watch, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. It's an internal thing that takes place inside of a person. We can't pin the tail on God and say, you know, God is tempting me. In a sense, we can't even really pin the tail on the devil because James doesn't even talk about the devil. He talks about us, and he says, you've got a problem on the inside. You've got a desire problem that drags you away and entices you. And after desire has conceived, he's going to use a metaphor here, conception. After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Wow, what an image there. But this is an internal problem that we have, according to James. And it's a powerful thing that happens. And it's common to all of us. Again, this is why when we talk about Jesus and what Jesus is able to do, he is able to set a person free from sin. He's able to break the power of sin in a person's life and transform that person's life over a process, over really, over eternity. He's able to change someone, and it starts the moment that that person comes to faith in Christ. They can experience eternal life now. And what that, that has to do with, the, with this change in terms of our relationship with sin. So many times people think that Christianity is about, you know, God will make my life better. If I become a Christian, I'll just do better in life. I'll just be more successful. I'll just be 
you know, better looking. I'll just, I'll be blessed, you know, if I become a Christian. That's not why you become a Christian. You become a Christian because you've got a sin problem. A bad, big, bad problem. And you need to be set free from your sin. That's, that's the reason why a person comes to Christ. It's not so that her life can be better. Your life may be worse, but you'll be forgiven. But you'll be set free from your sin. But it still may get worse on the, on the outside. You may be poorer. You may be less good looking. You may be less healthy. You know, that's not what the gospel is concerned with. It's concerned with the transformation of your heart, transformation of your soul from the inside out. And the promise of the gospel even goes further into the redemption of the world, into the resurrected body and all of these things. But first and foremost, it is a sin solution that lasts and that works so it's a problem that is deep. It's a problem that all of us experience, but it can be overcome. And this is what the author of Hebrews is alluding to. And there are different things in the scripture that talk about how to deal with temptation, how to overcome temptation. Um, in the Lord's Prayer, which we, we sang today, there's this little phrase of the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation. We, we pray that. But deliver us from the evil one. Pray. Sometimes people, the last thing that they do when they're tempted is to pray. Next time you're tempted, you should whisper a prayer and say, I'm being, Lord, I'm being tempted right now. Help me. But sometimes it's the last thing we do because we kind of like it. <laughs> we kind of like the temptation and the, that desire that James talks about is starting to come. And you're going to get dragged away and enticed. Well, you should pray. You should say, Lord, I'm being tempted right now. Help me. And you'll be surprised how that will reverse your position uh, quickly. Um, the Bible, we're told, is a solution to deal with temptation. Of uh, the longest psalm in the Bible, Psalm 119, uh, verses 9 to 11. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. And verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. There is a young person in this room, I won't embarrass him, but uh, last I checked, he actually memorized the whole book of James in the New Testament. I think he's 12 years old, 11, 12 years old. And he's in this room, uh, you know, his face is probably real red right now, and you're probably all looking for the 12-year-old, but uh, uh, where are you? Yeah, Riley. Right, is it true? The whole book of James. So I hope I read the passage correctly from James chapter 1, right? But how can it, what is that? that? That's this thing of, I hide your word in my heart. You see, when you memorize scripture, what that does is, when you face a particular situation, you'd be surprised how, how your mind recalls it. You'd be surprised how God helps your mind recall it. And you say, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not taking this bait. 
Because I know about this bait. The Bible tells me about this bait. If I take this bait, I have a present opportunity. You know, I've got the card in the ABM. Wait a second. I know, I know where this leads. I know what happens if I take that cash out. So I'm not going there because God has told me what happens, you see. And when you, when you memorize scripture, hide your word in my heart, nice poetic language. But that's what he's talking about. That's how you learn it. So, you know, when you're reading the Bible and you, your eyes drop onto a passage and it just, it just comes alive for you, you should memorize that passage. You say, well, I can't do it. I can't memorize it. Yes, you can. Push yourself. Of course you can. Do you know your phone number? Do you know your address? Of course you can memorize scripture. You say, well, I can't memorize chapter and verse and all that. Of course you can. And even if you can't, get the words in your soul. Even if you don't know where to find them, get them in your mind and in your soul. You will transform the way that you think by, by meditating on this book. That's what this author in Psalm 119 is after. So those two things can be powerful, powerful tools to deal with temptation. But the author of Hebrews, where he's going here, is he's talking about temptation being overcome um, and at least being dealt with in an encouraging fashion because of who our high priest is. Say, what's a high priest? Well, the priesthood that these Hebrews were used to were basically people who went to God on their behalf. So they would, in particular, uh, go to God with sacrifices for sin. Uh, sacrifices for the sins of the people and sacrifices for their own sin. And their job was to represent the people before God in order to obtain mercy, in order to obtain forgiveness of sin. And they had an elaborate system that they had to follow in order to atone for sin, at least on a temporary basis. This is what they had to do. And they were called by God. No, I don't, nobody, uh, you know, said, I, I want to be a priest, you know, sign me up. There had to be a sense of them being called. And you can read about that more in, in Hebrews as we continue. We'll look into that a little more next week. Um, but this, these, these priests had a very, very serious job. And the, the system was set up because the priests had to, they could relate to the people because they themselves were subject to weakness. So you read on in, in Hebrews and starting in chapter 5, every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God. Heavy job. You have to go to God on behalf of these people to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. So he is able to deal gently, the high priest, with those who are ignorant and who are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness, this is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as the sins of the people. Ah, but in the case of Jesus, who this writer says is the high priest whom we serve, we have a distinct difference. Because Jesus, while he empathizes with us, 
He never took the bait, so he never sinned. Well, he was tempted in every way, the writer says, and yet was without sin. Wow, that's some different high priest. So he has not blown it like the other high priests have. Here we have a high priest who empathizes with us and yet did not sin. So then, that's supposed to give us confidence and courage to come to God. This is why uh, he says, hold firmly to the faith we profess, because we have a great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God. And he's, he, uh, we, we, we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with us, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, yet was without sin. So, let us approach God's throne of grace. How do we do that? Do we do that terrified that he's going to throw a lightning bolt at us and, you know, cause big problems in our lives and make us sick? You know, we go to God that way? No, he says, you go to God's throne of grace with confidence. You can go to God with confidence. You don't go to God in terror and fear and with a sense of instability, but you go to God with confidence because of Jesus, our great high priest, so that we may receive mercy. Mercy you could define as uh, uh, not getting what you should get, so not getting what you deserve. God withholding what you deserve is mercy, you could say. So to receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Certainly that need would be the need we're facing when we are tempted. So we can go to God with that confidence. And we can say, God, I come to you with this mess I'm facing this temptation, I'm facing this problem, or maybe you've blown it and you've taken the bait. You can go to God to obtain mercy and grace to help you. John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Why can we do that? Because of Jesus, that's why. It is a... Again, a life of transformation uh, and solution from the problem of sin, first and foremost. There are, there are I think, people in this room, and uh, you have seen this, um, this principle played out, and probably there's people watching the same thing. And um, I'm talking about people who have been in or are in Alcoholics Anonymous, which is a fantastic a setup that has stood the test of time. And in Alcoholics Anonymous, you have many of these principles laid out, not using religious language, not referring to even any specific God, but principles of accountability and confession and so on. But the one that I really like is the admission that you need a higher power. You cannot solve the sin problem by yourself. 
Religion will teach you that. Oh, well, if you do this and you do this and you don't do this and you don't do this and you meditate this way and you empty yourself of desire and you do all of this mumbo jumbo, then you can find salvation. That's religion. When you have to fix the problem by your behavior, transform your behavior, transform your life. The Bible says you can't transform your behavior. The Bible says you're incapable of transforming your behavior without the intervention of God. You must have Jesus in your life in order to begin the process of transformation. If you don't have the Son of God, you don't have life. If you have the Son of God, you have life. And this is what the, the, the authors of the New Testament passionately preached and passionately believed and went to their graves believing so that 20 you know, centuries later, we could still experience the same thing. Uh, so if the band, if you can come to the, the platform and we're going to finish the service. Uh, but I wonder if there are any of you in this room or people who are watching online. And that basic question as to whether or not you have Jesus in your life. Whether or not you have that great high priest, the son of God, that you can go to with confidence and boldness in your time of need in order to obtain grace and mercy. I wonder if there are those of you in person here or online and you cannot answer that question with assurance. You simply do not know if it's true or if it's not true. You don't know if you have Jesus Christ in your life. Well, I, can, I would be so delighted to present you with the opportunity of making that sure today. And it's not, it's not in the, there's no magic in the prayer that you pray. It's a question of authenticity. Um, you say, well, I have such little faith, I don't even know how much faith I have. Well, Jesus said you got a little tiny little bit of faith like a mustard seed. That's real small seed back in his day. A little tiny, tiny little bit is all you need, just a little bit uh, to say, Jesus, Come into my life. I want to know you personally. I need an answer for the problem of my broken, sinful, messed up life. That's the kind of prayer that God answers. That's the kind of prayer that he delights in hearing. Even if you have to pray it over and over and over again. He wants you to be able to come to him with confidence when you are facing that time of need. So God, I just come to you on behalf of those who are watching online, those who are here in person. And, and I just pray on their behalf. And you can pray it along with me if you want to. You don't have to pray it out loud if you're concerned about that. It's a question of authenticity in your heart. I, I come to you, God, a sinner. And I ask you to have mercy upon me, a sinner, and to transform my life. Though I do not understand all of the little details, Lord, with the faith that I have, I come to you and ask you to forgive me and transform me and make me into a new person. In Jesus' name, amen. You prayed that prayer today. Uh, come and see me at the end. I'll be floating around at the front and uh, we can talk a little bit or 
You can communicate with me electronically. That would be fine as well. You pray that prayer today online. Reach out to me. You'll find all of our contact info on Facebook, our website, etc. Uh, the Lord bless you today. May, may you grow in, in confidence uh, in your walk with the Lord. And uh, remember, we'll be back here just for a stream next week. So don't come in person, but we will uh, be here again on the 30th of May. And we'll have uh, Pastor Charles who will come and share the word with us. And I'm looking forward to that very much. So I'll be at the front. You can come and visit. God bless you. Have a great, great Sunday.
ever